reminder in all of our disorientation here this morning, we are walking through the book of Ecclesiastes because so often we find that reading Old Testament um, books can be a little bit difficult, right? They don't always align with our understanding or our experience of God, so that's why we're here. And if we're being really honest, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is also titled Kohelet, um, it's kind of exhausting. Um, I was thinking about it this week, and I was like, I think we're all going to be really ready for Advent this year like never before. <laughs> because, <laughs> oh, here we go again. Um, but seriously, as we sit in all of the difficulty that the text just keeps circling back around to, our perspectives change. And our view widens. As a community of faith, we continue to find our place in the unfolding story of God. And in this season, through the wisdom of Kohelet, we assemble as disciples to take in the wisdom that is shared so that we are reoriented and renewed to participate in what God is doing here and now, whatever God might be up to. Much like the cycles in life that leave us with lots of questions or with grappling with theodicy that Brittany talked about last week, or feeling all the feelings and navigating constant change, Koheleth too drags us through the muck of life, reminding us constantly that all is evil, it's vanity, it's breath, it's smoke or vapor. We're going to continue to hear this pattern in today's text, but I feel like I gained some new perspective this week. Maybe you have heard it said, I have, I don't remember the exact quote, um, but it has been said that if we aren't reading from other sources and continuing to read outside of the Bible, we won't fully understand what scripture has to tell us. For me, maybe the same is true of my morning runs. You see, it was 5.45 a.m., and I was on my date with Tommy, as we like to call it, with our beloved treadmill trainer, Seriously. Uh, and on the hour-long run through Mount Sahama National Park in Bolivia, I had my aha moment about the text this week, which seems kind of crazy. You're going to think this is crazy. The scene was filled with rugged terrain. It was filled with hot springs, which was beautiful. Arid landscapes, snow-capped peaks off in the distance, small marsupial-like creatures that were kind of jumping around, llamas and alpacas, and it is home to the Aymara people. Now, if you can't tell, I, I absolutely admit, I really get into the screen, okay? It's kind of embarrassing. Um, you, you do this too, but. Uh, we will dodge things as they come at us in the screen. And I have also caught myself waving at passerbys when Tommy does. It's really funny. All right, so my dear Tommy is running at nearly 16,000 feet and in the midst of a real struggle, which he began to describe in detail. I, too, was struggling at 800 feet above sea level in the basement. Now, I was struggling. You can ask John. He happened to also be in the basement at this time, witnessing my uphill battle, okay? I do not like to run uphill, so we'll just start with that. But these were high intensity intervals uphill. Not cool. At one point, I was 
pain so hard that I realized I either sounded like I was going to die or I was having a baby. It was bad. And eventually, after one of those interval pushes up the incline, Tommy actually stopped entirely, which he never does. Mind you, this was after he had described that that 22,000-foot Mount Sahama in the middle of our view was actually being surrounded by an orb closing in. The sign that he wasn't getting enough oxygen. He obviously didn't want to pass out, and so he stopped. He stumbled forward, and then he kept walking. He described what was happening to him as if he was looking through a pinhole. And so he stopped. Now, a few minutes later, it took him a minute to recover. But then he started to get a bit of a runner's high, and he became a bit lit, if you will. It was pretty funny. I don't know what was happening to me. I was also laughing at him. <laughs> but then he also began to share some wisdom that I think comes from regaining breath and your vision. But before I continue my story about Tommy and our time together, I want to pause and I want to read our text. It is long, so if you would like to click over to it, I think it is linked in your bulletin, or you can just listen. It is Ecclesiastes chapter 8 through chapter 9, verse 6. And I don't have a whole lot to say about the text itself today, but I am going to stop along the way and just like point out a couple quick things. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise, who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. But do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme or absolute, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will, con will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. At this point I ask, who is the king? Because... Kings have been known, and those in power have been known, to do harm. So it's kind of curious. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, in other words, there is no certainty in life, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has the power over the wind, here's our Hebrew word here, ruach, the animating force to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Now at this point in the text, we can hear Kohaleth continuing from last week's uh, text, questioning the power of God, right? And this next verse launches us into a section where it is all about there is only death, there's no justice. The section is actually crafted in such a way as to leave us wondering whether divine justice exists at all. And for Koheleth, we're going to hear a repeated pattern here of carpe diem in verse 15. 
Verse 10. Then too I saw the wicked buried, those who used to come and go from the holy place and receive praise in the city where they did this. This too is meaningless. It is evil, vanity, breath, smoke, or vapor. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life that God has given them under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the, and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, or as my Haitian friends say, si bon de te, God willing. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Sorry for that. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Woo, y'all responded this week. <laughs> Koheleth continues dragging us through the muck of life. This, this all sounds like a repetition, doesn't it? Like we've heard it before. All is vanity, it's breath, it's vapor, smoke. But here's the thing. We can't live off vapor or smoke. We need oxygen. We need ruach. And yet we have no power to contain it. This is especially evident when we're running, when we're laboring, when we're pushing forward so hard. We don't have enough oxygen to keep us steady or moving forward. To keep that orb from taking over ever so slowly from the periphery until it eventually leaves us with that pin-sized hole to view through of whatever is in front of us. The wisdom here is knowing what comes next. We black out. We're incapacitated, unanimated. And I thought on my 
morning run. Aha! Koheleth is running. Maybe literally, like me and all my privilege, though not in his basement on a treadmill for sure, and definitely not with Tommy. <laughs> but maybe he's running at least metaphorically. Striving, pushing, laboring. And isn't that how life feels oftentimes today? And his vision is narrowing as his body shuts down. So when anything crossed his field of vision, his view in life, it had debilitating effects. Like me and Tommy on that run, maybe Koheleth even had that metallic taste in his mouth, or what Hemingway apparently called the taste of death. And then I began to realize the pinhole view in life can intensify as we repeatedly are faced with and approach death. It's disorienting, it's exhausting, and it can leave us feeling And then I was reminded that strangely, approaching death also reorients us. Verse 6 says, For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. In all his misery and then his runner's high, Tommy continued to share a quote from Chilean poet, diplomat, and Nobel Prize winner Pablo Neruda, who said this. And Tommy quoted, if nothing saves us from death, at least love should save us from life. If nothing saves us from death, at least love should save us from life. As Koheleth says, the same destiny overtakes all. Nothing saves us from death. We all experience it in smaller forms in daily life and in its ultimate form. There's plenty of suffering for each one of us, for our neighbors, for our loved ones, for the world, for even creation is groaning, is it not? As we foster a haven of belonging where wanderers and wanderers gather to discover and embody the love of Jesus in the world, we allow the Spirit to breathe life, ruah, into us. We take in the wisdom of Koheleth, recognizing that we can't have certainty in life nor control death. And in those moments when our vision becomes but that pinhole view, may we be reminded that if nothing saves us from death, at least love should save us from life. Jesus, who I believe is the clearest example of love, as God with us, reorients us to the story of God unfolding in the world. Love saves us from life as we experience it. Love reorients us, widening our vision, a sign of life in the face of inevitable death. My prayer is that we discover and embody that love and that it brings us 